Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. To Acts chapter 29. Acts chapter 29. We'll begin reading with verse 1 of Acts chapter 29. 26. Acts chapter 26. Pardon me? Acts chapter 26, yes. Uh, excuse me. I have this... Uh, you have to forgive me. I have this new iPad up here that I got for Christmas, and I'm still trying to figure out how to use the thing. Um, so, there you go. Did I give you all the right one? I did. Okay. Let me have your sheet down there. That one. Yeah. Is that the right one? That's the right one. Good. I'm going to take this one. Acts chapter 26, verses 1 through 19. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem on the authority of the chief priests I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from synagogue to another, one synagogue to another, to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, glazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you persecute, the Lord replied. 
Now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day, so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people. This is Paul's testimony and his defense before King Agrippa. And in that testimony and defense, he is continually going over what he was sent here to accomplish. This testimony is especially significant in light of of something he says back in Acts chapter 20 in his farewell address to the uh, leaders of the church at Ephesus. There he says in chapter 20 verse 24, he says, But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for the finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Those were the words of Paul. Mexico City, 1968. Out of the cold darkness of a marathon came John Stephen Aquari of Tanzania. You may remember it if you are old enough to. 1968, Aquari entered at the far end of the stadium and he was hobbling and his legs were bleeding, bandaged. The winner of that marathon had crossed the finish line an hour earlier. Most of the crowd that had been spectators at that marathon had gone. Just a few remained. And here comes John Stephen Aquari. Hobbling in. The very sight of him made people wince. They could feel the pain just in watching him. But he hobbled his way all the way to the finish line and the remaining spectators stood up and applauded him and cheered him. And when all the cheering subsided, a reporter came to him and said, Mr. Aquari, the race ended over an hour before you even entered in the stadium. You knew you couldn't win. Why didn't you just retire from the race and quit? Aquari looked at the reporter with a look of confusion And then he finally spoke up and said, My country did not send me to Mexico City to start a race. They sent me to finish one. What have you been sent here to accomplish? I pose that to every person here today, but I also pose it to our church family. What has God sent Palmetto Baptist Church here to accomplish. It's amazing to me how many times so many of us miss the main point of being here. 
back in December of 1903, Orville and Wilbur Wright, who you may already know this, were bicycle merchants. They went on to become the fathers of modern aviation, and they sent their sister a telegram, December 17, 1903. It read, quote, Sustained flight for 59 seconds. Hope to be home for Christmas, unquote. Their sister was excited by the news, and so she took the telegram to the local Dayton, Ohio newspaper, and the editor of the paper was also uh, excited about the telegram and found it noteworthy, and so he ran a small headline on the back page, and here's what the small headline on the back page said. Popular bicycle merchants to be home for Christmas. Sometimes we miss the extraordinary because we're focused on the ordinary. Sometimes we miss the main reason we're here because we are focused on things that are peripheral, that are irrelevant, even though they may seem very, very important to us. James Montgomery Boyce a few years ago, wrote a book entitled Learning to Lead. And in that book, he talks about the 1957 World Series. It's one of my favorite World Series, although I wasn't alive at the time, believe it or not. It's one of my favorite World Series because the Braves were in that World Series. Not the Atlanta Braves, but the Milwaukee Braves. That World Series in 1957 pitted the Milwaukee Braves against the New York Yankees. Henry Aaron hit 393 in that World Series. It went through seven games. He had three home runs, featured some of the greatest players in baseball, Eddie Matthews, Henry Aaron, Lou Burdett, Warren Spahn for the Braves. For the Yankees, you had people like Bobby Richardson and Yogi Berra. In fact, Yogi Berra was the catcher for the New York Yankees. Now, if you know anything about Yogi besides his Yogiisms, you also know that when he was a catcher, He was constantly running his mouth for two reasons. His chatter would pep up his teammates in the infield who could hear him, but also he was constantly talking to whoever the batter was for the opposing team, trying to distract them and get them off kilter and get their timing off. Well, in one of those games, Henry Aaron came up to bat, And Henry Aaron had a habit. Unlike other batters, when he would hold his bat, the uh, emblem on the bat, he would face opposite him. Most other batters hold the emblem facing them. Well, Henry Aaron got up, and the emblem to his bat was facing the other way, and so Yogi Berra caught onto that, and immediately he started telling Hank Aaron, he says, says, Hank, you're holding your bat wrong. You're supposed to hold the the Hillerich and Bradsby sign so that it faces you, so you can read it. You're holding it wrong. Henry Aaron never batted an eye, never looked at him, never responded, and the next pitch he hit into the left field bleachers. As Henry was rounding the bases, he came back and he touched home plate. He paused and he looked up at Yogi and he said, Yogi, they didn't send me here to read. What are you sent here to accomplish? What were you sent here to accomplish? Billy Sunday, who in his day was was the most famous evangelist in the United States, Uh, preached to literally millions of people in the days before any technology. Uh, He was a uh, 
he was an audacious preacher, very dynamic, and many, many people came to the Lord under his ministry. He said this, he says, more men fail through lack of purpose than lack of talent. We're talking about purpose. We're talking about that for which you were sent here to accomplish. And God has sent you to accomplish something, and he has called Palmetto Baptist Church to accomplish something. What Paul was talking about in his defense before King Herod Agrippa was his purpose. He was telling him, this is the reason I was sent here. This is that for which I was called by God to accomplish. He recognized the purpose of God for his life and also the purpose for the church. And I don't know of a single church that doesn't need to recognize its purpose. Now, the newer the church, the more focused they are on their purpose. That's just a fact. The older the church, the more they have lost track of what their real purpose is and the more of a challenge it is to recapture that sense of purpose and focus. I don't have to tell you that our church is an old church. We're trying to be an old church that acts new. We're trying to be an old church that gets renewed. But still, it is a challenge for a church like ours to refocus on what God's purpose is for us, what God has sent here to accomplish. Now, what can a purpose do for Palmetto Church? What can a focus do? First of all, a purpose provides motivation to persevere, motivation to persevere. If a, if a person has no purpose in life or feels that their, their life is meaningless, when struggles come along, they don't have any motivation to push through the darkness to get to the light because they don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. All they can see is more darkness because they have no purpose. Same thing is true for a church. Muhammad Ali was asked one time what was the secret of his success, and he said this. He said, what keeps me going is gold. He says, I set goals, and what keeps me going is goals. He has those goals in front of him, and he does everything he can to work toward those goals. Viktor Frankl, who wrote a classic book, Man's Search for Meaning, said this. He says, life can be pulled by goals just as surely as it can be pushed by drives. Life can be pulled by goals. You see, when, when a, an individual or a church has a well-defined purpose or goal, that purpose draws us to itself. It gives us something that provides a motivation for us. Frankel again, who by the way was a Holocaust survivor, in Man's Search for Meaning, he said this, he says, those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. Those who have a why can bear with almost any how. Same thing goes with a church. Any church that, that knows its why can bear with any how because the why keeps them moving forward. It motivates us to persevere through the struggles that most certainly will come. Purpose provides motivation to persevere. Second, purpose sharpens our focus. You know the purpose of most churches? It sounds really good. It really does. It goes something like this. Our purpose is to save the world. 
Our purpose is to save the world. Sounds really good. The problem is, it's too big. Now, the purpose of the overall church, the universal church, that body of Christians worldwide, that purpose is to win the world. But if our purpose at Palmetto Baptist Church is to win the world, we're never going to win anybody, or at least very few. Our son, Zach, is uh, one of the worship pastors at a church up in Loganville, Georgia, in Gwinnett County called Greystone. Greystone now worships on two campuses, and they have a very unusual purpose. It's in writing. They, they decided upon it before they ever started the church, the nucleus group that started the church. And here is their purpose, their narrow focus. Here it is. We will reach men in their 30s who have family. We will reach men in their 30s who have families. That is their purpose. That is their focus. That is their goal. Now, that's a very narrowly defined goal. But they have done surveys on what interests men in their 30s who have families, and and they know pretty much what men in their 30s who have families are attracted to, what appeals to them. And they take every ministry, every program, and every activity that they conduct, and they filter it through this question, will this mean anything to men in their 30s who have families? And if it does, then they, they uh, conduct that activity or ministry or program, and if it doesn't, they do away with it no matter how good that program is and no matter how many other churches in the area have done it forever and a day. They just throw it away because their goal, their target is to reach men in their 30s who have families. Now, they know, they know that if they can reach men in their 30s, their families are going to come. And a lot of men, most men in their 30s have families. And so that's their target. Well, has it worked for them? You know, when I first heard that, I thought, man, that's, that's, a, that's a narrow target. I can hardly believe that that would really work. Well, the church is eight years old. They now have two campuses. And the combined average Sunday attendance, the average Sunday attendance is 1,600. Eight years old. When I came to Palmetto Baptist Church in, in uh, September of 2000, Greystone Church was not even a thought in anybody's mind. Two years after, or really, no, five years after I came to Palmetto Baptist, a group of people, a small group of people got together. They said, here's what we want to do. Here's the target we want to reach. And they, they narrowed that target and they designed everything they do according to that target. And now, eight years later, they're averaging 1,600 They had a sports VBS this past week, Monday through Thursday. Their average kids' number was 900. Now, I'm not throwing that up to brag about my son. This church set those goals long before Zach ever went there. He just went there a few months ago, so he had nothing to do with those goals. I'm simply 
lifting up that church as an example of a church that had a very sharpened focus. And it was their purpose that sharpened their focus. And it has worked. Most churches do not take the time to narrow their purpose, narrow their focus that well. And as a result, they don't reach many people. Number three, purpose provides a filter for weeding out distractions. Purpose provides a filter for weeding out distractions. Billy Graham, Dr. Billy Graham, I don't have to tell you, is probably the most successful evangelist of the last century. Uh, He has been called America's pastor, even by the secular news media. And his evangelistic crusades, I'm sure that many of you have attended at least one of them, if not a couple of them that have been in Atlanta over the past 40 years. Dr. Billy Graham used to aggravate a lot of people, especially during the 70s and 80s. People got angry with him because when he would conduct his crusades, he would not preach on the hot-button moral issues that politicians And people on the right and people on the left are fighting over it even to this day. He would not preach on those things. And I mean, there's some things that had he preached on them, the whole nation would have listened to him and would have followed lock and step with his good moral advice. But Billy Graham refrained from that. Do you know why? Do you know why he did? He insisted on sticking to his purpose. And his purpose was very simple. I am preaching to reach the lost for Christ. That is my focus. And so he was preaching evangelistic messages. He didn't preach on moral concerns. He didn't preach on the, on the hot-button moral topics of the day. Billy Graham narrowed his focus to preaching evangelistically. On most Saturdays, I set a goal at my house of cutting my grass and trimming my hedges. That's my goal on most every Saturday. And what I'll do, I'll cut my grass, then I'll trim the hedges, and then I'll take a blower and I'll blow off all the debris. It takes me about four and a half hours to do all of that. It takes me about three hours to cut my grass because I do it with a push mower. It takes me about an hour to do my, uh, trim my hedges, and then it takes me about 20 or 30 minutes to blow off in the front, the side, and all the way around the back of the house. All right, that's my goal on Saturday. Now, think about this. When I get up on Saturday morning, because my goal is cutting my grass, trimming my hedges, and blowing off the debris, there are certain things that I will do because they contribute to the accomplishment of that goal. For instance, I'll put on some clothes that I don't mind getting dirty. Second, I'll put on some work shoes that I only wear to cut grass and trim hedges in. Third, I'll put on work gloves because I'm a little bit of a wimp and I have blisters that that develop on my hands relatively quickly. Fourth, I'll go out to the mower and I will check the oil in the mower to make sure that there's enough there and that it's not just jet black because if it's jet black, I've got to change it. So I'll check the oil in the mower. Next, I'll put gas in the mower. Next, I'll go out to the front yard where we have a spotlight and I'll remove the spotlight because if I don't, I will run over it with a mower. I've done it before. 
And then finally, I'll get the hedge trimmer out and the blower out. All of those things I will do because they contribute to the accomplishment of my Saturday goal of cutting the grass, trimming the hedges, blowing off the debris. Now, since that is my goal, you know where I'm going with this, since that is my goal, there are certain things that I could do, but I will not do because they have nothing to do with the accomplishment of my goal. For instance, I don't get out the laundry detergent on Saturday morning. Plus, Amanda says I don't know where it is. But even if I knew where it was, I don't get it out because it has nothing to do with grass cutting and trim hedging. I don't pull out paintbrushes on Saturday. I don't put on a suit and tie on Saturday. If you ever ride by my house on Saturday and I am pushing a push mower and I've got my suit and tie on, call 911. I don't read through the owner's manual of my car on Saturday. Why? Because because those things are bad? No, all those things are good. But they have nothing to do with the accomplishment of my goal. Listen, churches are notorious, first of all, for not having a specific enough purpose that everybody remembers. Second, they are notorious for for not abiding by that purpose and just doing anything and everything possible, filling up a calendar with all kinds of activities, some of which accomplish a goal and many of which have nothing to do with the accomplishment of a goal. But you see, a purpose a purpose provides a filter for weeding out distractions that hinder us from accomplishing the goal. And then fourth and finally... Purpose provides a basis for accomplishment. How do you know when you have accomplished your goal? If you don't have a narrowly defined goal, then there's no way that you can possibly know when you have met that goal. In the children's fairy tale, Alice in Wonderland, there's a conversation between Alice and the Cheshire Cat. You may remember it. Alice asked the cat, she said, Would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? And the cat said, Well, that depends a good deal on where you want to get to. And Alice replied, I don't much care. And so the cat said, Then it doesn't really matter which way you go, does it? Where are we going? What is it that God has called us to accomplish. Recently, I preached in a church that is dying. They don't know it. And that really is the shame. They're dying so slowly, they don't realize it. And when I preached for them on that particular Sunday, I shared with them I reminded them where they'd come from, but I spent some time talking with them about where they are headed. And there's some major things they need to change. They have a music program that is very high quality, but the type of music they sing appeals to nobody but people over 70 who have been raised in church all their lives. And those are the only people that that style of music reaches but they insist on sticking with that music because they do it so well. They insist on a style of preaching that is 
for lack of a better term, it is a suck and blow style of preaching. Wide open, suck and blow. Now, don't get me wrong, I was raised in that kind of environment. And there are certain people, or at least there used to be certain people, who really, that really appealed to them. They didn't think preachers were preaching unless they were sucking and blowing. Oh, yes, oh, oh, listen, oh, oh, well, that kind of thing. (laughs) They need to change their music. They need to change their style of preaching. And they won't do it. Their purpose used to be doing everything possible to reach people for Christ. And now it is doing everything possible to to protect our style of music and the style of preaching. Even though that style of music and that style of preaching is reaching a very, very small percentage of of people today. In fact, that church used to be the largest church in the county in which they are 40 years ago. Today they're running about 45 to 50 people. They are half what they used to be 20 years ago, even though the county in which they live has gone from 10,000 population to 195,000 population. There are 6,000 people living within a two-mile radius of that church building. They're dying. You know why? Because they forgot their purpose. In 1963, you could ride in New York. There was a building. The building was boarded up, and on the front of the boarded up door, there was a sign. It said, quote, gone out of business. Didn't know what our business was, unquote. The building, the University Christian Church, downtown New York, went out of business. Didn't know what our business was. We need to talk about purpose. We need to talk more than we've got time to today. And we will. What is your purpose? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we're grateful that you love us to the point where you have a purpose for us and a purpose for our church. And Lord, while you certainly want the world one to you, Lord, you you have a purpose in mind for Palmetto Baptist Church that's very narrow, very focused, very specific. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to get a grasp of what that purpose is and to be so focused on accomplishing that purpose that nothing else, no matter how good it may be, matters except accomplishing that purpose. Now, Lord, I know that it is your purpose for people to receive you as their Savior and Lord. And, Lord, perhaps there's someone in this congregation who has never invited you to be their Savior. And, Lord, I pray that someone, while we sing, 
will come forward and say, I want to receive Christ. I pray that someone who is a Christian, but not a member of this church, will make the decision to be a part of this church family officially. Lord, I pray that this invitation would be a time of life change for somebody in this place. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.